Welcome back to season eight of Talking with Traders. This is the fourth year of this podcast since it began in 2020. Once again, IG Markets have come on board as the sponsor of this podcast. We're truly grateful and privileged to have such a global leader in CFD trading as our sponsors. In the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe on the topic of trading. Some of these will be past guests that we invite back onto the podcast, and some will be new guests. The idea is to attract a broad spectrum of different perspectives from players in different areas of the markets. None of what you hear here is financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking about how you might be able to apply what you hear here to your own trading and investing. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way, you'll be notified when new episodes are released. Once again, thank you to IG Markets for sponsoring this podcast into its fourth year. And thank you listeners for your continued support of this podcast. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders. And this week, it gives me great pleasure to welcome back a past guest. This is his third appearance on Talking with Traders. His name is Richard Thomason. And why I love interviewing you, Richard, is because you're you're a regular guy. You're not a market professional. You don't work in the industry. You never have worked in the industry. You're just a relatable guy, like many of the people listening to this podcast probably are going about your trading, your investing, managing your own portfolio, and quietly making quite a good success of it. Certainly, that was the case when we last spoke. Uh, we spoke the last time in November 2021. I can't actually believe it was that long ago. So more than two years ago, which is uh, this conversation and this update is long overdue. But uh, welcome back to the podcast for the third time. And how have you been? What's been happening in the last two years since we last caught up? Thanks, Garth. Yeah, it's great to be invited back on your podcast. And, you know, I've, I've listened to most of the episodes uh, kind of when I run, I've tried to download a podcast or two. And it's been fantastic to see it grow, actually. Um, you've had some incredible guests on your show. So kudos for, for kind of ratcheting up the ante there. Um, Thanks. Some really, um, some good names. And I've learned a lot, certainly. So so well done to you on that one. Um, and, and I can't believe it's been, you know, What's it over two years since we spoke or well, November 21 is quite a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, so a lot, quite a lot's changed. Um, so I've, I think the last time we spoke, I just left a uh, big corporate. Um, so I was at a company, AB InBev, which most of you would know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've stepped out into a smaller business uh, in spirits distribution. And I'm kind of multi-hatting there as you would do in a small business. Um, but it allows me a lot of, uh, a lot more flexibility uh, a lot more uh, room to kind of use my brain and think and contribute straight to the bottom line and to kind of steer, even though I'm not a shareholder in the business, to steer the direction of the business and to add value. Um, so whilst I, I really enjoyed my 15 years at AB InBev and feel like I contributed there, um, it was a nice safety net and I start in life while I started a family. It's great to be in doing something different and um, having some flexibility to go and watch my kids watch, uh, you know, go and watch my kids play a few sport matches um, to do some drop offs in the morning, etc. Um, and then on to markets. Wow, uh, markets are uh, continue to be interesting. So, yeah. uh, wow. I mean, if I just kind of take you through the last few years, it's it's been a real roller coaster. So, locally in 2021. I did 40% and outperformed the JC by 11%, but my US finished well green, but behind my benchmark, which I wasn't pleased with. 
2022, the indices ground lower and I finished in the red, I think on both accounts. And then last year showed a gradual uptrend and then a sharp sell-off, if you remember, in August to October. Yeah. And then a huge finish at the end of the year, which kind of left most people's accounts finishing in the green. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of out of nowhere, um, and it took, took the mo emotions from right down the dumps to kind of for a long only person to, to re you know, ending the year feeling elated and thinking that the Fed's going to cut rates yeah. um, sooner than expected. And then, you know, we got inflation data out today and the market went into a tailspin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the 13th of February today, yep. uh, 2024. Um, and so this year, year to date, I'm, I'm in outperforming um, quite by quite a large margin. Offshore, I find myself up over 13% year to date, but the SDY is still negative, which is my benchmark. And then locally, it's been quite limited. There's limited opportunities in liquidity at the moment. Um, and I'm slightly in the red there, but ahead of the benchmarks. So. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. When we when we last spoke, your portfolio was quite heavily skewed towards South Africa. Um, when I listened, I had to listen to our last podcast again because it obviously was such a long time ago. Um, just to update myself, and when we last spoke, you had about eighty five percent of your portfolio in South Africa and about fifteen percent offshore. Now. I had a look at it. Since then, um, the JSE hasn't done very well in in RAND terms. It's very slightly up at an overall all share index level, but in US dollar terms, the JSE is down about fifteen percent. Uh, if you if you convert it back to dollars, and that's in sort of two and a half years now. So, how how does your portfolio look now? Is it still heavily skewed to South Africa, or have you diversified more out of it out of SA into the offshore shares, or or what? You know, it's it's quite funny because I, I went back and had a look at the the Czar USD in November twenty one. It was trading at fifteen forty five, mm -hmm. and now we're looking at nineteen or something. Yeah. Um, if I take you to where my rand balance of my US account is, it's at an all time high. Yet it's off its dollar highs in a drawdown. Right. So it's rand depreciation. Um, and funny enough, I thought it would the split would have been skewed more to the US, uh, but it's actually 1684. So it's kind of stay where it is. Um, and hindsight's an exact science. You know, if, if I'd known back then, I would have, and there have been times in the past, where I just thought, cash out the whole RAND portfolio, put it all over, offshore, and at least I won't get taxed on you know, the RAND depreciation, for example, because I mean, there's talk that capital gains is going to go up to 50% in this country as yeah, well. So, gosh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, maybe that's just get talk, but um, in hindsight, I wish I'd put more offshore, and especially after seeing the gains of the last four months, and, and maybe it looks quite stretched at the moment, but um, there's a lot more opportunity offshore at the moment, certainly. Yeah, there is. I mean, and it, it's always a tricky one. I know what you say, because I, I mean, I know when we spoke the last time, you said you live in SA, you eat in SA, your kids go to school in SA, you know, your costs and your, your living is in SA. So it's understandable you do have a kind of a home bias. Um, that's quite a normal thing to have, but you're right. I mean, the, the JSE I find is getting more and more uh, limited in terms of opportunities. Um, not only because the market's quiet, but also a lot of the stocks have been delisted or bought out. Uh, so it makes for a far smaller universe of stocks to trade. Whereas, like you say, if you go over to the US, I mean, there's just such a massive ocean of opportunity of various stocks and different themes and things that you can play. 
but there's um, always something performing overseas yeah yeah in some sector or class yeah there is there is but it's also as you say i know being a south african investor you always kind of look at it and think oh when is the right time to sell your rands because you worry you know maybe one day the rand does suddenly strengthen by 20 percent, and you've you've then externalized all your funds and it's you know you timed the currency wrong so i know it's a tricky one to get right um and also the the u.s market i mean although there's a hell of a lot of opportunity out there i know that the 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 companies are often a lot less familiar than uh than than what the south african ones are on the jse but it's interesting that your split is still more or less the same then that, it that, is, and I must just I must just say that that's obviously my active trading accounts that I manage. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's obviously um, there's the domiciled um, preservation fund and provident fund and RA here, yeah. uh, and then I've got some some passives which are very much skewed to offshore um, type of things that Satrix okay. um, World Market and Satrix Japan, which has done quite nicely and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. Or, yes. Or, sorry, not not Satrix Japan. Whoever the provider is that has the Japan. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean I think it is, yeah. Yes, yeah. Japan's broken out and it's trading at close to what's well, getting towards all time highs again. But I mean the yeah. Jap- Japanese market peaked in nineteen eighty nine. So it's uh <laughs> it's been forty years of 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 uh well nearly forty years or thirty five odd years of uh of weakness um and trying to get back to those all time highs. Yeah, you you mentioned previously that your your process, your investment process, is quite simple, and it's actually very often it's you know it's around listening to other market commentators, guys on the TV, on the radio, um, reading magazines, it's just being keeping your ear to the ground in that respect. But also that a lot of what you did is just common sense investing. You know, your eyes are open. You've got. Uh, you, you know, a, a critical eye, able to spot opportunities just by being aware of your surroundings and what's going on in the country. Is that still more or less the way that you approach your investing and trading, or have you adapted it much since then? I'd say yes. Um, <clears throat> I do still try and invest with a fundamental brain. I listen to a lot of people, um, a lot of podcasts on the way to work. I have my morning routines. I'll listen to. Uh, money web podcasts i listen to commentators that i respect i particularly like um david shapiro and wayne mccurry they're old hands at the jse and they really know what they're talking about and and david really does well offshore as well and and has some good insights there too Mm. um so i listen to these chaps and i I still like i said before i turn these ideas around and like a registry in my head um but a lot of what I do, and I think you are probably a similar trader investor like this, Garth, is I, I go through a lot of charts and I try to look for things that are trending, yeah. things that are showing uh, an uptrend already and, you know, that's already established, a yeah. promise of a breakout, some good yeah. volume signs, something that's not too volatile because I want to be in a trend that's not going to shake me in and out like a NASPERS that will go up one day and the next day China's out of favor and the next day gaming's unbanned or whatever, you know. So those sort of things I can't get my head around, although I'm mindful those things are moving the indices in a big way. So yeah. if I'm going to outperform it, I need to kind of be very smart in some other way. Mm. Um so, you know, I, I, a lot of what I'm doing, I think, is, is just based on kind of intuition that's been built up over many years that, of looking at charts. Um, and, you know, for instance, like PGMs, I, I didn't, you know, we saw a rally in the middle of last year and I actually took some, um, I think, towards the middle of last year. And I knew that, you know, these things can move up or down. They're hard beta plays very quickly. So I was out of that AMS trade quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was in November, it, it, it sort of made another run up and 
AMS in particular bottomed at 581 and then ran up quite quickly. And I thought, oh, I've missed it now. And people were still really a buzz with this whole PGM theme. But in my experience, you know, if you if you move back to say 2018, nobody was really talking about PGMs. It was quiet, and and the likes of John Bickard were kind of considered a pariah for investing in in, in these stocks. Mm. Um, I still don't think we've bottomed. So anyway, that's just my view on that particular one. So a lot of what I'm doing is is based on those things I described before, but I am trying to weave some intuition in terms of where we are in the interest rate cycle. Um, and a lot of what the Fed does pretty much move, moves market these moves markets these days, and obviously the local um, uh, Saab will follow the follow yeah. suit. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and uh, and you're an engineer by qualification, so and, and I know in engineering things are quite black and white. You know, there, there's a quite a neat cause and effect relationship to things, whereas the markets are anything but that. Uh, they they can behave in the most strange, irrational ways at, at, at times. Um, and obviously that introduces all sorts of risks. How do you marry that sort of that being an engineer, having cause and effect relationship, but then having to bring that into the markets uh, and, and where you've got this risk that's, you know, it's, it's, it's not clear, it's not black and white. How do you mitigate against those risks? Sure. So, I mean, I think what engineering taught me is, is firstly to love charts, um, to be to be logical, to to be methodical, and to always kind of seek for answers. Um, and I've got a lot of books here to my right hand side. None of those provide the answer. I haven't still haven't found the, what I'm looking for. Um, and the, the market will always be irrational, I think, and that's what makes it such a beautiful place to kind of play in. Um, yeah. You know, people. People will be on Twitter and they'll be like, oh my gosh, Alibaba is so undervalued. I can't believe it. Look at the free cash flow. It's like the best ever per share. And it's other shares are trading off at 200 PE and they've doubled in four days or a month. And it, it, how, how can the market have it wrong? And I mean, I'm, I'm saying like, are you saying the market's wrong or and you're right or is there something that missed because you know this is this is a consensus on a big chinese tech stock you know mm-hmm. so there's something here you have missed or it's not the time for the stock yet so why are you tying your money up on the stock that's not moving it could be another year before it goes up why don't yeah. you just wait for it to go up that's my view and, and i know there's a lot of ways of making money in the market so it, when i first started out you know as an engineer i thought if i could just go through these um RSIs or stochastics and find the the holy grail. You know, there's no real holy grail. There's no yeah. uh, cause and effect uh, like you see so often in engineering. There's no proof of principle. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think it was just about, you know, through time you learn that sometimes what you do will result in a desirable outcome and sometimes result in an undesirable outcome. And what you hear in, in you know, so, so many of these, uh, so, so much of the time is that you should trust your process rather than the outcome. So mm-hmm. you have a good trade. Um, it can be that you followed a good process and you got a bad outcome, et cetera. Um, and I, I think you just got to really control what's controllable. And, um, you know, once you, you can only prepare so well for a trade before you enter the trade. Once you enter the trade, there's a whole lot of emotions and different emotions going around in your head. Um, you, it might affect your sleep. Um, it might cause you to be moody. And if, if, if that 
thinking or clarity of thought is being sort of jaded and you know something's wrong and eating up inside of you, the only way to stop that is to cut that loss. If you've yeah. violated your stop points, you know that you should get out and on it stop. And the only way that you're going to feel better and stop that nausea or that eating up that cancer inside you is to cut loose. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, that's so it's about taking the power back. So I guess it was about just learning that it's, it's not always a, a cause and effect relationship. And, and I've learned to just love the fact that you can never predict it. The brightest minds in the world never get it right. No. There's always something. It's never, it's like history, but it's never, the, it's never always the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just, sorry, in terms of mitigating losses, of course, I, I, you know, I've learned to never take a, a big loss. And the yes. only way to do that is to kind of eat your humble pie and say, I was wrong. Strong opinion, loosely held. You know, I was wrong. Guess what? Don't remind me of it forever because I've changed my mind and I'm out and I've moved on to, to the next trade. Yes. Um, so, you know, don't call me a loser for doing that. I'm yeah. No, well, hey, the best loser wins, right? To quote Tom Hogard. Fantastic book that, yeah. Yeah, it is a fantastic book. I've just finished listening to it. And uh, and we'll talk about books at the end of this podcast. But okay, that, that, is a, that is a fantastic book. And I'm trying to get Tom Hogard back on the podcast. Um, he's not the easiest guy to pin down, but I think I might get him in March sometime. I'm hoping so. Wow. So, yeah. That'll be um, a great one to listen to. Yes, and I'm sure it will. He's always good to listen to and, and good to chat to. You, you don't make any uh, use of any leverage, right? I know when we spoke previously, you everything is spot equities. Um, you don't do CFDs or futures, or has that changed? Still still hasn't changed, Garth. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of habit and... Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I should have in hindsight, you know, the, the last few months I would have absolutely killed it if I had some leverage on. Um, and I'm, I'm really a disciplined guy. So I think I could have the discipline to cut my losses very quickly. You know, it's a mark to market game, as you know. So it's, it's um, in black and white at the end of every day. You can't just hold on for another day. You've got to consider cost of carry and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But, mm. um, you know, funding your account is, is not cheap as well when interest rates have gone up. But That's um, true. I, I t- yeah, I tend to to just stick with um, with vanilla equities, yeah, and let my my upside winners run. It takes a bit longer, but I'm I'm often happy to be patient. Yeah, let the winners run and cut the losers. What water the flowers, cut the weeds. Yeah, it's good. It's a very good principle, and it's very simple, but it's hell of a hell of a important uh, to yeah to manage your risk and to and to see growth in a portfolio. And t- in terms of number of positions, we, I know when we spoke previously, you had about ten trades on at one time. Is that have you going to yes. change that? Because um, that's I, quite concentrated. I, and I, I made made that point the last time we spoke. It's quite concentrated, yeah. but I liked it in the sense that it's it's concentrated enough that it can really move the needle when it goes well. But also, if you then combine that with your stop loss uh, and risk management approach, then it means that you know you're never going to lose your shirt if one goes bad. Um, I, I, I thought that was very good. Is that still much the case, or have you changed the the makeup of the portfolio, the number of stocks in the portfolio? So, so right now, Garth, I've I've got seven positions open on the JSE, which is and five percent in cash. In fact, today I sold one because I have a tax uh, um, obligation which I need to fulfill because it's okay. tax return time. Um, and seven in the US with zero cash. Right. Um, and just. Just to let you know how I um, how, how I manage that cash is if I've got a reliable trend in my local portfolio, which as I said at the moment, none have really taken. I'm I'm in the green on them all, but they haven't really really um, trended like some of my US stocks. 
I'll concentrate that 5% probably into this into one of the same names that I hold already. So I would have six positions plus that 5%. Okay. Um, so, yeah, when I size it, I still size it the same way. I'm kind of not looking to lose more than 2%. Um, yeah. But I would, I would generally go in with an R, which is like, um, you know, not looking to lose more than 2%. Yeah. And then if it goes in my favor, the position must be green and must have broken to new highs and proven itself um, onto a trend. And then I'll probably add another half R and then I'll be done. And that's only if I have cash in, um, and not fully invested in other positions. Right. Yeah. And have you had a situation where you get a, a winner that becomes so big that it becomes disproportionately large in your portfolio to the extent where it's, you know, what maybe started as a 10% position or something becomes a 30 or 35% position, which is hugely concentrated, uh, you know, and in, in the fund management world, you can't let that happen. You've got to trim the winners back if that happens, but it's so prohibitive. And in, sure. in your personal capacity, I mean, obviously you don't have to abide by those rules. So have you had that sort of situation where a, a, a position, you're, you become a victim of your own success by seeing a winner become disproportionately big in your in your portfolio? So, so right now, um, it might surprise you that I've got two winners in my US portfolio that are greater than 100% up and yeah. they make up now 20% each or 40% of my entire portfolio and right. they're working now. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not NVIDIA, it's not super microcomputer, <laughs> it's not ARM <laughs> resources or these other chip things that are going ballistic, but yeah, they, so they're working nice and slowly and there's some other ones that are starting to build quite nicely. Um, so what, no, I won't trim them. Um, and I guess how, you know, how that'll work its way out in the future is that it'll work like a market cap, I guess, weighted index where they'll either start to underperform at some stage and they'll get stopped out and I'll just close the position because that's how I work with these, um, when, when trends start to fail, um, or uh, they'll just take a lesser place in the portfolio and others will catch up and they'll just kind of even their way out, you know? Right, yeah. Um, but I firmly believe that you need to let these winners run because that's when trend following comes into its own. And um, I think it's it's something I've never struggled with to hold a winner. I, I, it is very scary when it starts to pull back because you start to lose big numbers very quickly. But mm. if you, as long as you've got your uncle points and exit points, then I'll, I'll get out. And if I've got a built position, I'll, I'll exit both of those positions immediately. Right. Um, and I think one of your previous guests, James Gubb, said uh, it takes guts to be a greedy pig. So, you know, we've really got onto a trend that's working well. And, you know, if I had been one of these NVIDIAs or whatever, the guys will say, yes, it's overvalued, but I'll, I'll ride that thing to the last drop. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And you need a, you know, a money now. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and uh, just one or two of those home run type of trades, you know, 10 bagger or whatever, makes yeah. all the difference in a portfolio. And even when it's not a leveraged trade, it can make a hell of a big difference in the long run. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes, yeah. I mean, you, it takes you so long to find these darn things. So I think, you know, enjoy the moment, enjoy your time in the sun, um, let it run, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, fantastic. Well, it's good. I mean, as you said, you're a disciplined person in life in general. And I know when we, we spoke before, you know, you've had a couple of interesting challenges over the years. I remember you, you your uh, goal in, 20, I think it was 2020, was to read 50 books and you did it. Um, I know also last time we spoke about the, the Bright Kamala's one rand per day challenge where you save one rand a day and then tomorrow it's two rand and three rand and four rand and you do that for the whole year and you end up 
you know, doing that for a whole year, you make up, you save about, I think you said 67,000 Rand or something like that. Um, so these sort of things I know appeal to you. Tell us a bit more about the stuff that you've been doing now outside markets. We know you're disciplined in markets, but let's keep this interesting. Uh, you know, I know you've got a couple of interesting things that you've done beside markets, beside trading, which has tested your <laughs> your physical limits and your discipline. Sure. Yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, the reading was really just I started getting bored in COVID and started reading a lot of books, and it was quite an interesting time. Um, the savings challenge was really just to build a bit of discipline, um, not really to try and build any sort of uh, wealth, anything like that. Um, and yeah, as you know, or uh, well, you may know, I'm, I'm quite a serious runner. Um, uh, recently, we actually spent quite a lot of money, so I'd say I engaged in the spending challenge. So. <laughs> but, um, no, no, seriously, we um, um, last July, uh, we went over to, or it was June, July, I think we went over to, to the US, to California, and I took part in a race called the Western States Endurance Run. Okay. So this is the, um, the oldest and probably one of the most iconic trail runs in the world, which, which took me a decade to get into. Um, so they have a list of qualifiers. You have to run a 100K race or a 100-mile race on their list, and then you get one ticket into the, into the barrel. And if you don't get drawn, you have to do another qualifier on their list, and then you get two, so they double your chances if you don't get drawn. And so it goes up. And um, with a, a bye year and COVID and everything, it took me literally 10 years. So when I finally got drawn, I got so excited. And after partying that night, I finally uh, you know, recovered from that and hired a coach um, and then went over there. It was like I was, you know, it was Christmas for me as a kid uh, again. And yeah. uh, it was amazing. Uh, my family was over there. And one of my best friends seconded me and my boys ran the final mile with me. It was actually one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life. I actually get quite, a, quite emotional talking about it. Yeah. Um, and then we came back and uh, did some renovations on the house, which was, which was also testing. Um, <laughs> which if you've done renovations, you'll know yep. about that. Yeah. Um, but what I really love about about endurance running is it, it just forces you to be to be in the present in that moment. Um, uh, there's a lot of strife you go through, and there's a lot of parallels to trading, and particularly in long, long running like that, where you run for sort of 24 hours, you go through these deep, deep emotional lows where you want to quit, and then you, you also, when you finish, you get this unbelievable euphoria. I'm not, I'm not really one that's taken drugs and knows what that feels like, but yeah. Um, unbelievable highs um, that uh, is, is totally on the other spectrum. And that kind of, you can kind of relate that to trading in a way. Um, and yeah, also you, you kind of reach a point where you, you want to quit and you, you, you either quit at your goal time or you quit the race in its entirety. Um, and you kind of have to make that decision in a split second. Nice. Um, how badly do I want this? Do I want to, fight and carry on through the pain or do I want to take it easy and walk to the finish or get in a car, you know? So yeah. wow. it was, it was an easy decision going to the U S and spending that money going over there because, and spending and make, you know, making it after 10 years into the, into the entrant list. Um, so I was never going to quit that one, but in all endurance running, you kind of get reach this point in your brain uh, in the race, you kind of two thirds of the way in. So you've got a long way to go, but you know, you're in, you're no man's land. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I've, I've uh, I did recently. Um, I'm still doing a lot of running, um, and you know, it, it also requires a bit of discipline now and again when it's dark or raining outside. 
Sure. And it gets harder as you get into winter. And I'm sure mm. it's even harder in the UK where you are. Going oh, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do a bit of running. Eh? So it's, it's yeah, I, I do. Year. I do. I haven't actually done a lot of running because I hurt my knees last year. And, um, but I've okay. been, I, I, so I've started actually rather doing some strength training, which I'm really, nice. really enjoying. And I do that three times a week. Uh, and oh, I, wow, I'm loving yeah. that. I'm That's loving so that. important as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Core, it is. Core and strength, yeah. Yeah, especially as we get older, I find that your your muscles yeah. start to atrophy. And it's uh, interestingly, the guy at the the gym, when I went to go and try it out, he, he, he obviously, I don't know if he did pick up that I'm a financial guy, but he just said to me, he said, see this like your pension, what you put in at the gym now, you will reap when you're an old man. And yeah. uh, that just sold it for me. I was like, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, talking parallels, life to, to trading and what have you. Looking after yourself, looking after your physical health, looking yes. after your financial well-being. Um, all right, and and what else? I mean, you said in the in the uh, preview to this when we were off air that you you met up with some fintwit traders uh, over the years, and you found that quite an enlightening experience. Tell me about that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, last year I actually ended up um, meeting. I don't know how it started, but I, I met up with five people. Um, over the course of the year um, and what really struck me out of that whole experience was how different people are as traders and I always thought you know it was quite clear in my mind how I traded and I was very cognizant that's very you know different ways to make money uh, in the market depending on your time of reference your uh, what you do in the day your personality etc so yeah. the one guy doesn't use charts at all. He just uses price action. This guy's in, uh, in Durban, um, mm. named Alvin Governor, and he's become a very close friend of mine. Actually, we talk a lot and we joke a lot about people um, joking with people on Twitter and things as right. well. Off there. Yeah. Um, I met another guy in PE, um, and he is a contrarian. So he adds to losers, like pick and pays fallen from grace, and he'll just buy more and load the boats and wait for it to come back, okay. which I cannot do, but he, yeah. it's worked for him. Um, and then another chap who was kind of a beginner and looking to just network. So we chatted through um, and you always learn something from each other. The other guy was a, a youngster trading um, Forex markets. And he's a day trader using a one is to one risk reward ratio. And then the fifth person was, was Dylan, who I know you've interviewed as well. And we met up at uh, Vasco da Gama, which is just down, uh, down the road from my offices. And we had a beer. Yeah. And um, he's actually probably the most similar trader to myself, although he takes a lot more positions. But he uses technicals and charts and yeah. he's looking at similar um, names and stuff. So yeah. that was also very interesting. You know? Although I haven't had the portfolio management experience that he has. Sure, uh, and, but, and exposure to traders, but we, we we very much talk the same language and enjoyed his interview with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's still in Bradfield for the listeners who who are wondering who we're talking about. It was a good interview, and he's he's a very good trader. Uh, I'm on a WhatsApp yeah. group with him, and he's hell of a shop. He's yeah. he's got really got his ear to the ground, and he knows what's potting. So that's great to catch up. Now, what's what's in the future for for Richard Thomason? Looking forward now. Sure, Garth. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think I'm quite um, lucky to have kind of fulfilling work at the moment. Um, I'm in no rush to kind of retire. In fact, I don't think I'll retire at any stage. I think the markets will always keep me interested and keep me mm -hmm. sharp. 
Um, I have done a lot more sort of thinking about life. My kids are getting older. My one kid started high school this year. So I'm, I'm thinking about what's after that, you know, uh, what happens when he leaves home and I'm left with this house that I need to downscale and things. So I'm, I'm really thinking ahead, but I've still got a lot of energy left in me. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'd like to... I'd like to think that I'm kind of one step out, you know, towards being a full-time trader. Um, perhaps that'll still happen one day. Um, and it's still uh, something that really excites me. So, you know, I'm continuing to read my books and uh, look at the markets and hone my system and be a student of the markets and continue to learn. So, Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Have you read any books you can recommend? I mean, I know you're a prolific reader, so and we, we've, on both of the occasions we've spoken before, you gave us some great book recommendations. Anything new that you think we should be looking out for? Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, one that I really, I've, I've drifted a little bit towards, I've read a lot of books on, on trading and investing now, um, and uh, I've drifted a little bit towards um, mindset of champions, and, and I'm very interested in what makes sort of Kelly Slater want to win the Pipe Masters at 50, and Rafa mm -hmm. Nadal, and Jocko to keep going when they've got all the money in the world and all the fame and everything. And so what's the mindset of the champion look like? Um, I picked up a book called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Um, I wasn't really a fan of his sort of uh, persona as per se, but I, I picked it up. I know Mandy Rafsanjani, who's a trading coach. She um, was talking about on one of her podcasts and I, I really loved it. Um, he explores, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty much a distillation of, the best content of his podcast. And these are long format podcasts, like one to two hours, sometimes two and a half hours. Yeah. And he gives a lot of um, book recommendations from his listeners, uh, sorry, from his interview interviewees. And then um, he, I'm busy working through the top 25 most downloaded Tim Ferriss podcasts at the moment. Wow. Um, and then I've started to reread some classics and here's one that you might, uh, I, I know you like this name here, this Pitbull. Uh, oh, yes. Podcast. Oh, Brilliant. I'm about halfway through a reread of this and it's uh, the guy's yeah. humor is amazing. And the yeah. numbers that he kind of put out in, I don't know when it was, it was like the eighties or something. Yeah, yeah I think uh, so. Cause he was a pit, yeah, as the name suggests, he was in the pits in Chicago trading. He was a um, pit trader, but I mean, yeah. he said by the end of November, I was down $57,000 for the month. In December, I made $928,000 and ended the year up over $3 million in futures yeah. alone. Yeah. And that was a long time ago. After losing $800,000 on one trade, that he yeah. came back and finished positive like that. So I, and yeah. it's just so well written. It's probably one of my best books, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, so I, I read it many years ago, and I'd love to actually get it again. Um, and because uh, it was an absolute uh, thrilling read. Uh, so yeah. you've reminded me, actually. I'd be keen to read that again. It's very, I read very it on book. Kindle, and then I, I picked up a physical copy, which I always love. And uh, so I've just been leafing through that and, and chapter by chapter and picking up some nuggets here yeah. and there. Loving yeah. the way it's the style it's written. You can really fly through it. It's kind yeah. of like a Michael Lewis book, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it is very well written and, and great. I mean, I do enjoy those kind of sort of storybooks, although it's true, but it's also a bit of a story, a bit of an uh, autobiography of, of his life, really, as a Yeah, trader. I mean, he, he takes you through um, getting into trading and how his wife supported him. And as he had a birth of a kid and his wife got breast cancer and then he realized he needs to spend some money, not just rather not just save it up and, um, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. He takes you on this real life journey and yeah. how he evolved as a trader and got bigger and, and bolder and, yeah. And highs and the lows of his training career, which is fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. 
All right, Richard. Well, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up there because we're pretty much out of time now. But it's been fantastic to catch up with you again, hear what you're up to, hear that the portfolio is still going well. You're still passionate about markets and making a success of it. It's it's inspirational. And as I said, you know, you're a, you're a regular guy, not from the industry, not a professional money manager, but doing it yourself and making a success of it. And it's inspirational to the listeners, hopefully, as well. Thanks, Garth. It's been great chatting to you again. And um, yeah, look forward to listening to to some more podcasts uh, from your feed. Uh, very Super. educational and, and keep it going, please do. Thanks very much. Take care, Richard. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.